The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Welcome to Medical Education Matters. I'm Michael Brown. What follows is a recorded conversation from our March Collaboratories program event. It's a discussion between two of our teams, led by Principal Investigators Deb Clayman of Southern Illinois University and Sean Tackett of Johns Hopkins. Joining the conversation includes Anna Cianciolo and several audience members asking questions and offering comments. We hope you enjoy. Now, when I was thinking about how to pair the collaboratory teams together, there are a lot of overlapping pieces from everything. One of the key pieces here between Deb's project and, of course, her team, Sean's project and his team, was this notion that if you want to find something out, something hidden, something mysterious, something unknown, sometimes the best thing to do is to go to the people whose answers you care about and ask them the question directly. And I think that's a lot of what Deb's group did trying to understand and unpack this question of character and what it means. And of course, it's central to what Sean's group did, asking about blind spots. If we're going to identify these blind spots, we need to go to folks and start asking, what do you think others are missing? What do you think you're missing? And I think that creates a natural jumping off point for this particular conversation that we get to hear between Sean and Deb and any members of their team who are going to be joining them. So without further ado, I will hand things off to Deb and Sean. Okay, hi everybody. So um, because LCME is so close, um, when we got together and talked, um, we're gonna do this format. So Sean is going to talk about their blind spots work for a little bit. And then Anna is gonna talk about our character work a little bit. And then I'm gonna moderate a discussion between the three of us and uh, I think Bridget's on, on, so in case Bridget wants to jump in from our group, that would be great too. So Sean, take it away. Thanks everybody, good to see, have everybody together again. Um, so a lot of this will be kind of a refresher on things you've seen in the past, uh, just to reorient everybody, because I know it's been a while and I know we uh, some new bits. Um, so yes, this is our collaboratory, Scott, Susan, and me from Hopkins, Yvonne from McGill, Cynthia from Toronto, Darcy from Mayo, and where we started. So what is a blind spot? Again, I'll, I'll probably go through these things fast because I know you've seen it before. Um, physiological inability of an individual actor to see something that is perceptible. And so it comes from this notion that we have optic nerve hitting the retina and there's no way to see what's there in that blind spot. That's why you have two eyes. And then of course we can't see behind us. We're kind of limited in our field of vision and they're also that even the things that are in front of us as to what we can attend to at any given point in time. So you can only actually see one thing in this image, even though there's kind of two things that could be seen. So like an old lady looking down or a young lady looking away. And sometimes we kind of hallucinate or have figments of our imagination, like this audio stereogram. It's, it's really just like a bunch of pixels. But if you look at it long enough, you can see a shark coming out in three dimensions. And then more commonly, I think we talk about blind spots is like the, the affective kind of aspect of it. And this Johari window and it's a blind area that other people know, um, but you can't really see or are unaware of. And um, 
And then we just, you know, we can only ever see kind of the tip of the iceberg when, of, of whatever an individual experience is, is, is like. And then what's true of individuals, true of groups. So, you know, if we're all walking in the same direction, we're missing what's behind us. Or if we're only looking in the light, we're missing what's in the dark. And then a the way to overcome this problem, each individual and group blind spot is to kind of share perspectives. So this, the blind man, the elephant, you know, if they're only looking at their little piece and not kind of sharing perspectives or arguing that they're only right, they're right and they're, the one's wrong, then they're going to miss the big picture. And the other benefit that comes with that, when you enlarge a field of vision, more things kind of are are become uh, possible. So there's adjacent possible, and and uh, and so then you can make you. It gives you the opportunity to be creative and to try new things and to innovate and change. Our first research project was just like, how do we take this fun idea and turn it into something that um, makes sense and making it systematic? And so, one uh, so. <laughs> this group concept mapping has these four stages. And so the first one is brainstorming. So we asked our stakeholders to brainstorm to this prompt uh, to meet the needs of patients in the health system. Medical education should become less blind to or pay more attention to. And so that included 27 people. And we were intentional about selecting individuals who were within the medical education system and then sort of without within the larger health system. And this included like learners, educators, researchers, administrators, um, we have patients, uh, nurses, perspectives, administrators, uh, all kind of represented. And they gave us 298 blind spots, which we reduced to 208 for sorting. And then sorting, it was done by 10 people. And then ultimately, we spent a long time interpreting and kind of going back and forth with uh, their results. And so these are, you know, the 208 blind spots represented on the map. And then we grouped them into these nine domains. I mean, you can't see the names, but I'll show you in a second. And then uh, ultimately, we looked at the 208 and we looked carefully at, at within each domain. We came up with 72 subdomains across the nine domains. The domains the, and kind of what, what they turned out to be. So the first one was admissions and selection processes that do not generate the workforce required for future clinical practice. It's somewhat self-explanatory, right? But uh, the idea is that, that people saw a mismatch between how we choose who's going to enter into the workforce at the medical student stage and like at the IMG entering the residency stage. Um, and kind of what, what society needs. Teaching practices that are not informed by evidence and do not adapt to learner needs and new technologies. So this is outdated teaching practices or just not, not evidence-based, but also kind of not, again, not keeping up with the times and not taking advantages of new opportunities. Assessment practices and curricular designs that lack continuity, efficiency, alignment with desired outcomes. And so the, a key thing here was just misalignment and waste um, in, in a lot of these practices and, and redundancy. And we kind of got sort of outside, more outside of the traditional teaching and learning curricular realms. Um, so then inequities in education and health that resulted from bias, that result from biases, hierarchies, and discriminatory structures, which is um, largely being talked about, still considered a blind spot. Professional growth and identity formation of physicians and educators that impair their well-being and limit their influence on society. So this was one which is kind of interesting how the, like the, you know, the map tied together this idea of, um, identity formation and and how that could actually Im impair your well-being and how the two of them were linked. Um, patient perspectives and voices that are not heard, valued, or understood. I think that's fairly self-explanatory, just kind of ignoring the patients and looking mostly at ourselves. Teamwork and leadership training that are insufficient for promoting health or managing emerging public health challenges mixed a lot in, but the idea is that, you know, we need to be working in teams and we also need to be thinking of a, a broader public health picture and um, throughout medical education. 
and then broadening out further, health systems, models of care, and financial practices that do not yield value in healthcare. And the last was government and business policies that create dysfunction and stifle innovation. So we had kind of teaching and learning within, again, the, the health system and then within society. Um, it's kind of how this, this turned out. So then some new things. So we tried to take this these domains and just see, well, you know, what can we do with them? And so we, this is the U.S. survey results. And um, we went back to the same 27 stakeholders who created the the map. And, you know, unsurprisingly, they kind of still agreed with themselves that, you know, the, the, the <laughs> different domains have extended the blind spot and, and uh, magnitude caused by it. But there's also some variation. So, you know, if you look at um, like patient perspectives and voices are not heard, valued, and understood, 87% versus kind of usually 60s and 70s, 100% of the magnitude of the problem caused by it, by this. Um, and then, you know, somewhere lower, so like extent of the, the blind spot, it's called government business policies, uh, was lower um, there. And then magnitude of the problem assessment practices there. So, you know, a little, little bit of variation. This is like a proof of concept, mainly to inform the international survey. Um, so, you know, after like year, year one's promised work and accomplishments. So mentioned this uh, conceptual paper um, got out there. The nine domain map is under review right now. Um, the US survey is late, late stage draft. We'll submit it hopefully within the next couple months. We had a workshop at Amy. This is a photo from it and it was fun. And there's a lot of people coming together, getting enthusiastic, talking about blind spots. Um, and then we got funding, so that was nice. So then this year, um, you know, we're, I guess, most of the way through it already, but we, there's international survey. So seeing this thing was made in the U.S. and really contextualized for like the U.S. medical education system, but how would it look outside of the U.S.? So that's, that's the purpose of this. And then kind of, that's going broad and then going kind of narrower or deeper, there'll, there'll be a qualitative aspect. So we're going to use the survey results to identify um, a blind spot we wanted to look at and key informants who could tell us about it. Um, for quality for the interviews so this the survey we're in kind of i think most of the way through and then the qualitative stuff will start in the next probably month or two um and then the approach to the survey was looking at international networks and so the famers got a, a platform they use for their famer fellows there's who education hub um amy osmos Elsevier has a newsletter ifmsa is like the international medical student association and then jdn the junior doctor network is the international um, kind of listserv for residents and, and early career physicians. Uh, this was like a week or two ago. I, I just analyzed the data. So we had 255 responses at that point. Um, even though that number is not enormous, they came from, I think, more than 70 countries. And, uh, and a, a, a significant fraction of them were like actually low-income countries, which is what we were hoping for. And then, uh, and then you know, largely, again, a kind of agreement that most people felt that these things needed more attention. Um, and and then a patient perspective just kind of has an early lead, I guess, and and, and uh, the one that's going to be the most important, although, you know, is how different is 79% from, or 77 from 88, not sure. Um, so that's kind of what it, we had to say for updates. And, you know, this is the purpose of it, right? We're all just trying to stop arguing about what <laughs> one thing is most important and try to see the big picture and then try to see how we can work together. All right. Thank you, Sean. Um, and now I'm going to ask Anna to talk about what we've been doing with the character study. Um, watch very carefully this presentation as compared to the last and see if you can guess what my first 
question for the two is going to be. All right. So uh, here we'll just do a quick update on what we've been up to. A bunch of us team members are furthering our exploration of character in medicine and how we might address it by developing a data science around character. As a reminder, our project has three aims. The first to define character in medicine inclusively and concretely so that we can promote the development of all medical students. So we're trying to address um, historical limitations in the development of constructs that relate to medical student professional development and well-being. And we want to explore whether or how a data science can support character assessment and development among medical students and their institutions. Uh, so we're looking at assessment and development, not just at the individual level, but also at the organizational level. And our ultimate aim is to create multifaceted approaches to character development in medical school that include curriculum, policy, culture, and structural reform. So relating back a little bit to the blind spots seven through nine that were listed that are sent are sort structural in nature, um, in our character development process, we want to try to we acknowledge those blind spots and want to try to address them in our approach to character development. Um, so what is character? We proceeded with our project uh, with the Kern Institute's definition of character, which is spelled out here. Probably don't need to read it. I'm sure you all are very familiar with this definition of character. And our general approach, what's interesting about the approach is that it was, it itself was multifaceted. And we had, what we did was we brought the people to the team that had expertise in a diverse set of areas that related to the project aims. So these included um, people who had expertise in qualitative and quantitative research and assessment, people who had experience on research projects where assessing at personal attributes unobtrusively from behavioral data was a research aim. We had people who had a philosophical background in character. Uh, so anyway, it was a diverse team. We brought them together with consultation from medical trainees and community stakeholders to ensure that we had, on the one hand, a scholarly perspective on character, but at the same time, a grounded perspective on character that was ultimately going to facilitate the care of people in our community. Um, and we had this uh, ultimately a pragmatic approach that was also that that basically integrated literature review from a, a very diverse set of disciplines. Uh, so it was a critical literature review where we sampled key articles from different areas that relate to character. Um, and we also had, we also solicited stakeholder input that included three focus groups with medical students totaling um, 24 uh, trainees. We had 16 focus groups and five interviews with Springfield, Illinois community members, which totaled 132 community member voices that were raised in this project. And then we also did a curriculum analysis. So we looked at basically the existing sources of data in the performance assessment systems at both our medical school and Medical College of Wisconsin and UCSF. And we put these data sources together with 
with our findings from our literature review and input from students and community members to see all together, you know, what are we assessing? What kind of assessments do we need to develop? And what implications does all this have for building a data science of character and for developing character, having a both an individual and organizational level character development process? Um, so after reviewing the literature, with the scholarly literature, we opted to go with the character strengths framework that comes from positive psychology. And there were several advantages to moving forward with this model, um, which include the fact that the, the model is fairly straightforward and easy to communicate both to trainees, organizational stakeholders, and community members. It maps well to this idea that there's a complex constellation of personal characteristics that motivate and enable individuals to act as moral agents, which is a key part of our definition of character. It enables the development of character profiles that allows the expression of character to be individualistic to the person. So this promotes a diversity of response to, to, to situations that challenge character strengths. And it also is the character strengths are also accessible using a freely available instrument that is easy to access and could be used in a variety of different settings. Um, so we moved forward with the character strengths model and dove into the literature and we talked with our community members about character and we looked at our uh, through our curriculum analysis we we tried to develop a picture of what character strengths receive emphasis from these multiple perspectives and what this figure shows it's just sort of a qualitative mock-up of of what we identified as overlapping areas of character strength emphasis among the different sources that we used. And if you focus on the lower right quadrant of this figure, you're going to see those character strengths that receive that received basically no emphasis in the the all the different sources that we studied. So these would include mercy, gratitude, playfulness, and spirituality. Those three um, were were all implicated as essential to well-being in private life, but thought to be just separate from work life, that, that somehow you just don't bring these things into work life and there's no need to express them in work life in order to be of bringing your whole self to work and to have well-being that comes from work. Zest and hope on the diagonal line there were identified as um, actually really important for well-being at work in medicine, but were not identified by anyone else in our group, um, trainees, physicians, patients, and the medical profession as codified in curriculum assessments as important. So these received basically no emphasis, but they were found in empirical research to be related to well-being at work in healthcare. And then finally, those character strengths in red, awe, creativity, and perspective in one empirical study were shown actually to relate negatively to workplace well-being in healthcare. So the bottom line message of this slide is that there are several character strengths that 
aren't getting any emphasis at all, some of which may be important to the way that our healthcare systems currently operate, and some of which may have a complicated relationship to to workplace well-being because of the way that our systems are set up. So there's um, some really interesting findings there that helped shape our way forward in terms of selecting those character strengths that we want to try to emphasize in assessment and development so that we're basically facilitating the development of our trainees and our staff and our faculty, their whole selves that they bring to work and ideally their well-being. So putting it all together, we are, we, so a data science is really honestly very far off. The the degree of data that you need to develop the kinds of artificial intelligence algorithms that you need to pull data from various different sources of you know huge huge data sets is it's super expensive to to develop that data set and it takes a very long time unless you have a lot of people accessible to you right away um, so what we're what we're shooting for to create the foundation for this data science is basically what you might think of as a programmatic assessment of character. So portfolios of that reflect various different kinds of, of assessment points from various points in the timeline in, in a student's development in the curriculum and assembling, figuring out how to assemble these this these character points into the portfolio, stimulating reflection with others on what's in this portfolio, and um, and using that to provide individualized developmental opportunity, faculty and staff development as it relates to organizational character, potentially curriculum reforms and organizational change as needed to facilitate the expression and development of these neglected character strengths. And we anticipate that developing this portfolio is going to require the development of new measures, or in, I don't want to say measures, new assessments, because many of these will be qualitative in nature and very individualized to the, the individual student. Um, so our current effort is we're continuing our refinement of the data science framework for character assessment and development. Um, so we're finding that there's relatively little refinement needed after year one of development, um, but we're you know we're continuing through kind of a constant comparison, sort of iterative process, making sure that we that our framework is co-developing with the other work that we're doing. So we're keeping an eye on it, but it doesn't require significant emphasis in this phase. The second thing is we're completing the design of a programmatic assessment of character system to include data not yet collected. And our team has a draft framework that we're collaboratively refining that ultimately will represent what we think this programmatic assessment of character could look like at SIU and in a way that we hope will uh, transfer and be applicable to other institutions. Um, and that, of course, is something that maybe in an out year we could test explicitly. Um, and then finally, we're designing and piloting a comprehensive approach to character development um, to include curriculum policy and institutional change. And, um, and so this goes into the framework. As we develop this draft framework, we're also piloting a number of different of uh, 
developmental opportunities and brainstorming assessments that might go with these. So a, for example, we're piloting student-led discussion-based discussion-based approaches to reflecting on one's character strengths and how they are applied to the everyday work of a physician. This is one of the character development opportunities that we identified as basically missing from the curriculum assessments that we looked at. And we have uh, started to experiment with this discussion-based approach in a variety of different venues. So we've done an actually an MCW faculty development workshop where we started exploring how you bring character strengths to getting published in medical education. Uh, we did a UCSF workshop, and this is also for faculty exploring how you bring character strengths to publishing. It was a very uh, condensed version of the workshop that we did at MCW and that we plan to do in full half-day format here at SIU in June. We have got uh, a, a smaller workshop aimed at students that will be presented at two internal conferences and symposia, one of which is later this afternoon, which is why I will not be here for the afternoon sessions. We will be delivering that workshop. We're very excited about it. I think it should be pretty fun. And then we have a proposal into the CGEA. And if I recall, Paul, correctly, that was accepted. So we now have a regional, an opportunity to pilot this at the regional level as well. And so we're going to we're going to use what we learn from these pilot efforts to, to continue to hone our approach and think about how this approach will fit into the, the larger framework, along with other things that we haven't even thought of yet. Uh, and with that, I thank you. All right. <clears throat> so when Anna and I and Sean got together, um, these two quite quickly got into this interesting discussion of uh, comparing and contrasting different methodologic activities with these two studies, um, which I'm gonna ask them to talk about for a minute, in a minute. But I asked what question, to pay attention and see what question you think I'm gonna ask first. And I have to say, Adina kind of nailed it. So one of the things that jumped out to me immediately is that a lot of the character strengths that we see are being neglected in medical education. So mercy, gratitude, playfulness, spirituality, awe, hope, zest, creativity, et cetera, are missing from our general medical education curricula. And they are indeed blind spots. Um, in, interestingly, at least to me, was that many of these things um, are related to personal flourishing. And maybe what we've been doing is trying to reduce stress, but what we need to do is improve resilience by helping medical students, faculty, staff, learners flourish, which we're not doing. Also, just on a personal note, before I turn this over to Anna and Sean, is that um, if you take the VIA, this inventory, uh, inventory character inventory that Anna mentioned, you come out with your top five um, character strengths. And just on a personal note, my top five are creativity, perspective, perseverance, love, and leadership. So I was fascinated by this because two of the ones that I have as my top 
five are supposedly negatively related to um, being helpful in a medical career. Um, I see Karen has her hand up. So before I go to Anna and Sean, uh, Karen. Um, so thank you both for presenting this. And perhaps I'm getting ahead of you into what you're talking about. But I do, I think Adina put it in the chat or somebody did is why is that patient quadrant empty? When I think of ways, you know, back to the blind spots and the assessments and and I just had an experience where I did some grading of physical exam skills with standardized patients. And the feedback from the standardized patient focused on character strengths. It was about their zest, about their compassion, about how they interacted. So I'm wondering if between the blind spots of how we're actually assessing um, and using evidence, and then this, again, I. As Adina said, I don't quite understand this diagram. So if you could explain that first and then talk about how those two, your two presentations overlap. Yeah, I can I can jump in on that. Sadly, I could not see the chat at all during the presentation, so I couldn't answer these in real time. Um, but looking at that figure, everyone had things that they identified, character strengths that they identified as, as a priority and important to well-being in medicine and medical care. The coal the coalescence, if that's a word, of these um of the character strengths to an axis represents areas of shared emphasis. So for example, the medical trainees and physicians, this is actually kind of interesting. They, when they self-identified the top core character strengths that relate to well-being in medicine and medical care, love, kindness, authenticity, fairness, and judgment were all ones that they identified. Love, kindness, and authenticity were almost uniquely identified by medical trainees and physicians. They were, they did not come up as particularly important to empirically accounting for well-being in healthcare. Um, so they're on the physician and medical trainee quadrant of the map here because they, they're shared by medical trainees and physicians and to some degree by patients, um, but they are not emphasized so much in the medical profession literature and curriculum assessments. Um, below the, the line here, so um, the horizontal line, we've got character strengths that were shared by, were, were emphasized as much by the medical profession and curriculum assessments as they were by empirical studies that examined medical work. So there it looks like there's nothing in the, the lower left quadrant because there was a lot of correspondence or shared emphasis between the medical profession and curriculum assessments and these empirical studies of medical work. And then finally, patients seem to have nothing, but that's because most of what they identified um, as critical was shared by what medical trainees and physicians self-reported as important. They place, patients placed a lot of emphasis on judgment, which was actually emphasized by everyone social intelligence, authenticity, fairness, and so forth. So th that kind of, it, and this was just a qualitative mock-up of, of the kinds of things that we were seeing. Importantly, the patients identified humility as a critical 
aspect of caring for them that was not represented anywhere in the medical profession literature curriculum assessments. And in fact, if you look at the literature, the absence of humility seems to be something that promotes the opportunity to learn and have autonomy in the clinical setting, which is concerning. Um, but humility was identified as important to well-being in private life. And so that's why it's over there on the, the right-hand side of the quadrant. Um, so apologize for that. Does that clarify kind of how that was set up? Okay. I noticed that there was one other question. Herodotus, you ask a great question about the variability of age of the respondents. I'd have to go back and look, but I don't think it's a very wide variability. Most of the empirical studies focused on um, medical students and residents. So it's we're not going to be getting the, the senior physicians that have a very different perspective on life than those um, who are relatively new to the profession and younger. Um, the question about how do I, we see this as complementing the competency-based education frameworks and portfolios for competency. And I will say that we actually want to consciously diverge from a competency-based model. Um, we don't see character as a, as a competency. And so this in many, we can talk about this later when we talk about blind spots, but the current competency frameworks have character as a significant blind spot. Uh, so we can, when we assess character, we're not seeking to make, I think, some of the same mistakes that are made in the, the competency framework of molecularizing um, human performance and relation to context in how they operate and do their work. Um, importantly, this is not intended to be an evaluative exercise where we are emphasizing character development. It's meant to be something that promotes individual medical students and faculty, residents and faculty and staff's well-being. Um, and we don't, our philosophy is not that you can encapsulate well-being as a set of competencies. Although I know that there are differing opinions on that, but that's where we're going with it. No, um, I'm seeing it as, um, I think of it anyway, as almost like a Denver developmental scale of where the student is at any given time when they come in. And it's our job to help their character grow in a, in a positive uh, directions to help them and the health of their patients. But it's not, we're all starting from one point, we all have to get to another. I wanna um, give some room here to let Sean talk about either the blind spots he's seen or uh, the blind, this conversation we're having, or to talk a little bit more about your methodologic um, uh, activity and then Anna can talk about ours because they are quite different, even though we we did the same thing as introduced by Michael in that we in, we basically reached out beyond um, just medical education settings. So, I mean, right. And the one of the things we want to talk about during the session is like compare and contrast and what's similar and different. Um, and so I think conceptually, we kind of talked about how like character as a construct could probably relate to the different blind spots domains or, or the things mentioned. So I, I am interested probably more in talking about like the the problems we faced in trying to trying to 
conduct these projects and to you know execute these methodologies. And then I'll just also respond. I think Adina asked the question maybe twice, but why is there so much consensus internationally? Um, don't know. We'll find out. Uh, you know, we, we've looked at different perspectives. So, so it's to date, I mean, we're still in the middle of data collection, but like today, we kind of see if you're an educator versus not, is there a statistically significant difference between how you rate domains, or if you're a student versus not? And then there, then our, our power is actually decent at this point, and there's no difference between them. And so, what we plan to make do that kind of analysis. We do, we have found a difference between uh, country income level um, uh, for certain domains. We're gonna, yeah, but that's the plan. We'll keep like. But I, I wondered, Sean, because it seemed like internationally there was more agreement than there was in that original group of 27 or 23 people. And that's where I came up with the question is, did they look at their own biases? Yeah. And I, and I, I think just um, we won't be able to answer that because, you know, there was it was 23 people. Or so and each person was kind of unique. Um, so we won't we can we just have no way of analyzing differences in by in like so, sort of subgroup in that that 23 of those 23 people but for the you know for the larger group we'll, we will have the opportunity to kind of look at like sort of predictors you know with these uh these ratings yeah but i think i mean as i was thinking about like again why why did michael put us together because he seemed pretty different to me um but, you know it, it was uh it, i mean i think we had we both had complex methodologies and i think we we're also kind of addressing like difficult problems and so um and and and, and both were trying to conceptualize something that was like hard to get to to do you know and, and so I think you know from the on the character side and, and I can talk and you can talk more about this but like uh you know you had a ton of stuff to draw from and everybody's using the word character and in, in a scholarly way and then like how do you kind of unify those we were we had nothing to draw from we had like a fun idea and a, and a like two words that we that kind of we liked and it, it seemed to shred core with other people and so we kind of had to create uh we, we we needed to come up with a, a, a way for people to take it seriously as something that could be like actually useful um and, and not just fun and cute so so that we you know the, the 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 conceptual people largely arose from that because we were just talking with ourselves and saying like what why is this why would anybody care about blind spots like how is this different or useful and then um and then and then the group concept mapping actually turned out to be very interesting for us to see like how much came out i mean and we only asked 27 people, but we we covered like such a vast territory and, you know, in those nine domains, I mean, we, we did our best to summarize kind of everything that came out, but I mean, but there's, there's stuff in, in the weeds that like, that we know about that was just, yeah. So, so that, that group concept mapping methodology was something that um, we learned from, uh, we struggled through, um, but I think it was useful and, 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 you know, the other spinoff project with, with it is we have like a group concept mapping methods paper that we're working on just because, you know, and trying to learn about it, we realize it's kind of hard to learn about it just from the literature. So we're trying to like, you know, make it more accessible to others to use. Um, Anna, before you jump in, I want to answer a question that Ryan put in the chat. Um, our, it's interesting. This question is very interesting because we've talked a lot about this. And in our workshop, the one that's coming up at one o'clock this afternoon, um, we're at, it, we actually have a very interesting format that allow that is going to allow for these kinds of flexibilities. So what we're starting with is a little scenario where there is a, a little video of a doctor, a patient, and a medical student in a typical interaction where the physician is rushed, the patient doesn't feel listened to, the student kind of stands there awkwardly. And then we have a second video 
um, following that with basically what are each of these people really thinking? So the doc is like, I'm in a hurry, I'm behind, I'm late, I'm late. The student is like, she's in a, she's in a hurry and it's not helping this patient, but I better not speak up because it's, uh, it's, it's my grade. And the patient is like, oh, once again, I'm not being listened to. And then the third video, and there's a little discussion after each one, but the third video is what happens when the doctor uses humility, the patient uses courage and bravery and love, and the student uses bravery to change this conversation. Um, and then we're going to have a discussion about that. But the idea would be to let everyone put themselves in that place and decide based on their character strengths, how they might respond. But this is an example of that. So I love the question. Sorry for butting in, Anna, but I got excited. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree. And and it, we found in some of our focus groups that we did as part of our initial data analysis or data gathering that students of different backgrounds, in this case, racial and ethnic backgrounds, had different character strengths that they felt were important to handling the scenarios that were presented to them. And I think it illustrated that finding of the, these sort of different character strengths that they felt were necessary illustrates the incredible value of having, of developing basically empowerment to follow one's individualized path to expressing their character. Um, I see, uh, Ryan, your hand is raised, so. I, I'm really encouraged to hear this. Um, in the sort of the positive psychology K through 12 character education literature field, um, it's so important for learners to you know, do something like what you're doing, the VIA um, character strength assay, and then um, identify their signature strengths that they can leverage themselves. There's a large literature on moral paralysis, uh, which happens when, and I usually use Karen Mark Dante as the example, you know, uh, a medical student might really look up to Dr. Mark Dante and think, oh my gosh, you know, let's say they have some character literacy and they see, you know, Dr. Mark Dante has these character strengths I don't, I'll never be the kind of physician like Dr. Mark Dante. And we've got to encourage them to think you have your own strengths that you bring to the table. And what we need to do with you is, is help you leverage those to achieve the same sorts of things, especially in today's world of team medicine, where we're all going to be bringing our own unique character strengths to the table. So I, I'm so excited by this. Thank you. <clears throat> Yay, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. We completely agree. And our, we're super excited to have these discussions with our workshops and see how, how we can further refine the framework to ensure that we're, we're inclusive of everyone. So I guess, so back to methodology, I think one, and this actually ties back to the podcast from earlier, the, the presentation about, about publishing. We also had this wild hair idea that we started with. And it, you know, it was something that we had an interest in character. We knew that Kern had an interest in character. So we had a a partner, if you will. I was going to say a partner in crime, but it's it's not a partner in crime. We had a we had a a soulmate in exploring character and what we might be able to do with character. And it, it happened that we had a couple of people on the team, myself included, who had done prior work where we 
explored what the behavioral manifestations in ongoing work might look like when people, in this case, people are feeling that other people are trustworthy. You know, what, what does information sharing look like in teams where people are trustworthy? Um, so when we, we saw the request for proposals and we had this, this interest, this sort of gnawing interest in understanding the, the personal characteristics that will help medical providers navigate the current healthcare environment, it just seemed like a, a natural blend of our, of our backgrounds and interests and Kern's interests to, to truly transform something. And we, we also, you know, we're very motivated by this idea that we could do something for, you know, to develop a foundational characteristic of medical providers that was going to be inclusive. I mean, that was extremely motivating for doing this work is that you know, the literature was starting to come out that studies of professional identity formation had basically been um, that were were conducted in a color, so-called colorblind fashion and we're failing to account for the professional identity uh, development of, of medical students who are coming from non-white racial and ethnic identities, not to mention the spectrum of all other kinds of social identities that students bring to their training. But, but we were, so that meant that we were navigating a space that hadn't been navigated before. And just like with the blind spots, we had we didn't quite know what our end state was going to look like, um, but we had very enthusiastic people on the team that kind of threw this idea out there, this wild hair idea, and then have developed over the course of the last 18 months or so developed an approach to systematically um, entering that unknown area. Any other questions? Michael put that crime would certainly be an audacious idea. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, can I... <laughs> I don't think it'd go over well with the LCME. Uh, <laughs> looks yes. like Adina's got a question. I yeah. have a question uh, and a comment. You know, one of the things that I, I agree with Sean, one of the things that makes the, the beautiful thing about putting your two presentations together was that you're both um, uh, using interesting te uh, techniques and methods to kind of try to get your arms around a very, very complex set of compl uh, constructs or ideas. And it occurs to me that it is data science. And 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 you 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 said um, Anna, you said um, that this is we'll never have enough data to really do this kind of you know, in the, in a big data sense, when you think about the, the language of data science, you think about, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of data points. I actually love the images and metaphors that you both used to kind of both to define what blind spots are, but also to kind of locate and map fuzzy concepts, because that's what data scientists do, right? Data scientists, they make pictures of, you know, and they say, look, you know, here's a cloud of data over here and another cloud of data over there. So it, it occurs to me that you both in different ways sort of use similar metaphors and symbols to try to locate these very complex ideas in meaningful ways. So I, I just, that's not a question. I just want to say that 
I think of that as data science now. I used to not, hmm. but I do. But I do think that that is that that kind of depth of data, right? You go you go deep with individuals, and you you get at very complex ideas. And the other thing, I, you know, the fact that Sean's going international on this actually is really interesting to me because it's it's made it's it's been made very clear to me as I do more and more work internationally that there's something so fundamental about what we're doing that it is not different across very distinctly different cultural contexts. And that may inform what we're trying to do, as you just said, you know, locally, like how do we make these concepts apply to culturally very different individuals with different backgrounds? What's the, what's the je ne sais quoi (laughs) of what we're doing, you know? And I think you're both I don't know. You're, I just, I want to put your, both your maps side by side and think like, what's, what are the, what do we learn by just staring at them for a while um, and see what, what emerges. So I, I applaud you both um, for using really, really creative, the, the creativity thing. <laughs> yeah. We got to move that into the, into the center of the map. I think, I think physicians have to be creative and loving and kind and all those things. And awe is a good thing in medicine. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're at time here. Uh, I really love this conversation. Sean, keep challenging me on why I paired people together. It's good for me to think about. I, and I don't want it revealed that all these pairings were just random. Uh, there, <laughs> there was deep thought behind it. <laughs> <laughs>